For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is unable to finish, all who see begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Live from digital address GA0993341, good evening and welcome to Joy 99.7 FM and to tonight's edition of Springboard, your virtual university. Now that quote about logistics was from our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 14, verse 28 to 30. Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and your superstation Joy 99.7 FM. The broadcast is made possible by the kind courtesy of MTN, Ghana's number one network, Echo Bank, the Pan-African Bank, and our print media partner, The Graphic Business. Thank you for joining us on Joy 99.7 FM and on Facebook streaming digitally on Albert N.E. Okran, Comfort Okran A, and Joy 997 FM. My name is George Okran, and I am here with your regular host... Albert Okran, and on behalf of the virtual academic board comprising Comfort, Matthew, Priscilla, Amos, Emmanuel, I would like to invite you to buckle up for an instructive experience tonight. So for some time now, we've been trending along the lines of the six major principles of business and entrepreneurship. In the course of time, we've covered three of them, money or financial resources, manpower, and marketing. We've also taken time to bring on board messages and resource persons that have combined all six pillars, notable among which was Eben Asante of MTN, who touched all of them in a message on developing leadership capacity last week. So, what do we have for today? Tonight, we will address the subject of raw materials, logistics, or supply chain as a critical success factor in business. We will start with a case study and analyze how raw materials will help us build our businesses. In our Data is King segment, Amos will share some interesting tips on succession planning. And if you know or you are a new CEO or GM or just took over the reins of any organization, don't miss our five key recommendations for, for you from PWC. So look out for that in the Data is King segment. In our Game Changer segment, Jojo will share some thoughts on how the customer experience or perception of value can influence how much they are willing to pay for your services. So as a custom, we, in this series, we feature typically a startup business person and then an experienced consultant or coach to bring perspective on the issues that a startup may be confronting or dealing with so that we can get a clearer understanding. Our aim is to use somebody's case or one person's case to guide all of us to make choices that will help us build great businesses. So in the studio tonight, we have a startup, Frederick Ode, who everyone calls Chef, Chef Kiko. He left a great job in a technology company to work as a chef in his own catering company. We'll find out what the difference is between a guaranteed salary and then also starting a business and what are the uncertainties that he's dealing with. But most importantly, what is the role of quality quantity and uh, the timing of supplies um, in his business. Now, providing the mentoring tonight and the guidelines for, for Fred and all others who are starting businesses is a supply chain um, consultant and experienced business advisor, Kobna Atabedi, joins us tonight. Fred and Kobna, welcome to Springboard. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm sure you want me to, you want me to call you Chef Kiko yes, instead of Fred. Okay. When we were in school, somebody, somebody's parents came to school and called him by the, the, the real name. 
and they never got to know who nobody knew who he was the whole day until just just before they closed I mean they closed business now somebody mm-hmm. said ah open some in fact, their parents almost died. <laughs> the nickname was what everybody knew, and it wasn't the nice one. So, Shepiko is a good one, so we'll call you another one. We'll start the conversation right after this important message from Ecobank, Juju. Okay, so the Ecobank Express Point allows you to access basic banking services across the country. Enjoy Ecobank Express Point services after banking hours, including weekends and holidays. So, you can locate an Ecobank Express Point nearest to you at selected shell shops, pharmacies, grocery shops, ECG vendor points, and mobile money merchant locations. Enjoy the following services at our express points. Open an instant Ecobank Express account, deposit and withdraw cash from your Ecobank accounts, redeem e-tokens, receive international remittances through um, Rapid Transfer, Western Union, RIA, Vigo, and Unity Link. And to locate an Ecobank Express point, simply dial star 770 hash. I'll say that again, star 770 hash. Select 8 for Express Locator, select your region, and just enter the three first three letters of your area, and you can just get started. Ecobank is your CIMG Marketing-Oriented Company of the Year. Ecobank is your CIMG Hall of Fame Bank. Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank. The Pan-African Bank. All right, so tonight... We cast our mind back to the early 90s where a, a, a delegation of Ghanaian handicraft exporters went on a trade mission sponsored by the government to the United States to prospect for potential buyers. The cane products in particular caught the attention of some of the world's biggest supermarket chains, the Walmarts, the Sears and all the big ones. And a giant retail firm then initiated a discussion about a potential order in batches. And Kodna, Look at the quantity. 40,000 pieces for each of their preferred samples. Mm-hmm. Now, with about 20,000 shops in the chain, that was the minimum order quantity per batch. So, for each sample they selected, they wanted, how, how soon can you deliver 40,000 pieces? Now, you want to call that answered prayer. But instead of being excited, the Ghanaian exporters started fidgeting and stuttering at the most basic questions. Apparently, none of them had handled any order exceeding 300 pieces. So the potential importer was both concerned and surprised. And he began to find out what was the reason they could not deliver the order. He asked about the availability of financing. He asked them, are you not a cooperative? Can you not do it together and then take the order and do it? I mean, he was just literally trying to coach them to, to take how the to order. The order. Yes, how to, how, to, how to get the money. He asked about labor, management, technology, and all these areas had minor issues. But the biggest surprise was in the area of raw materials. <coughs> so he asked them, I know that in the Philippines and other countries that are competing with you in this industry, they have several hundreds of thousands of hectares of rattan planted. How many hectares do you have in Ghana planted? And that was the problem. Mm-hmm. At that time, cane grew in the wild, or the rattan grew in the wild in the western region. So somebody would go to the bush and just cut it. And then put on the train, and they bring you to Accra, and mm-hmm. then you go to the train station, and you buy, and they share, mm-hmm. and then you produce ha- as many baskets as you can. Mm-hmm. Th- there was no deliberate production of the raw material. I don't think there's a deliberate production as of now. In fact, the 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 sad reality was that the samples the Ghanaian delegation sent were far better than what the people from the Philippines were bringing. Mm-hmm. But we had no clue what it takes to play ball on the big league 
Listeners, if you are listening tonight and this story is connecting with you, just describe this whole scenario in one word. Just one word. Just post it on a stream or on our Facebook pages. Just go and post it there. Enjoy 997 Albert. How would you describe a situation like this in one word? You pray and pray and pray and God opens the door and the order is 100 times what you prayed for. And it's given to you, and you can't do it. You come back home empty-handed. Charlie, the devil is a liar. It's a nice headache to have. So, 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 what, what went wrong? What is the way forward? And that's the kind of discussion we want to have tonight. Mm. So, let me welcome you once again, um, Kobna, and Thank let you. me welcome you also, Coach um, Chef Kiko. I, I, I play tennis, so when I think of the name, I, I think of my coach. Let me start with you, um, um, Chef. How familiar is a problem of having an order too big for your capacity? Um, personally, I haven't really had any very big orders. But when I sit and think and forecast the potential of having bigger orders, it kind of scares me. Because finding the materials in the right quantity, right quality, and the, at an affordable price point is very complicated. Help us understand what you do, just so that somebody sitting at home will understand. It's not just about Pufu and Banku and things like that. It's, it's, what kind of business model are you pursuing? So um, our business model at Blue Cheese is to, is to give people the experience of international dishes whilst educating them at the same time. Because what I realized trying to eat out is that our menus in our restaurants are based on what people like to eat, which ends up being fried rice, jollof, um, banku, the regular things you find on the street, but let's say in a more hygienic or better experience version of it inside the restaurant. And it's basically because people just don't know the various kinds of foods out there. So we did a little research and realized people don't know what tacos are. They may have heard it or read about it in a book or something, but they haven't seen it. People don't know what a ban means. People don't know that a sandwich is not only bread with eggs and salad, like a basic club sandwich. That's not just what a sandwich is. So we set out to try and bring those dishes to the general public at a relatively affordable price point so that by experiencing it and learning about the food, they can then ask in the better restaurants that, oh, I want a taco, or I want a banh sandwich, or I want jerk chicken, or I want this, so that Eventually, the restaurants realize, okay, people want more variety. So then they use that, and then our food sector becomes less boring. What is the motivation for you in what you do? Just to allow people to not see food as a survival thing and as an art. Because I've been in love with food since I was 11, and it's a very complicated art. It's a medium of expression, but it also requires focusing on what the person who is eating the food actually wants. So in as much as you want to introduce someone to a new thing, you have to make sure that you introduce them in a way that is not too jarring or shocking to their taste buds, but then they acclimatize themselves because there's something in there which is familiar to them. I want to bring up now very shortly, but you, you, you talk about the love for, the passion for food um, since age 11. Um, you left a potentially very high-profile job as a software um, developer in, a, in one of the best firms, IT firms in this country, even if I say so, I mean, dream about, to go full-time doing food, I mean, being a chef. And when we posted this 
um, the, the, the promo for this program, the CEO of the company called me and said, this was somebody who was doing very well and we are so proud of him that he pursued his passion. My, my brother, uh, Deridin Dazi, spoke about you so highly. Was it difficult to make that decision to walk away from regular paid salaried employment to explore your passion? Yes, it was extremely difficult. Um, it took a toll on my family. It took a toll on me. It was very scary. But what I realized was programming or software engineering and cooking are basically the same thing. Wow. It is <laughs> you seeing something and then splitting it into its basics and then rearranging. So when I'm giving an image to create, let's say, a web page out of, it's just an image. I have to split it up into the various parts and then construct a web page in code to try to look like a website online. It's the same thing if I see a sandwich online. I can realize this is rye bread, this is um, prosciutto, this is mayonnaise, this is lettuce. Once I can figure that part out, it is the same thing as just splitting that and rearranging it into a sandwich for someone. Is there art and art or a science? Both. <laughs> it is indeed seven, 17 minutes past the hour. So if you just joined us, food is now being called an art and a science. And, and the man says, Designing software and cooking food are the same thing. You just have to deconstruct the elements and then bring them together again. Come, are you surprised at his, his? No, I'm, 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 yes, I'm surprised at his creativity. Right. But I'm not surprised at the fact that he's been able to project food in a manner that normally we don't. And indeed, food is, is an art and it's a science. It's an art because it comes with creativity and flair. Um, being able to know that if I use sugar in this particular carbohydrate, it will give this kind of feel. That is an art. Then the science of it is this ingredient and that ingredient will, should not go together. Right. Together they'll give you a hard burn or something. Right. So that is where the science part comes in. The art part comes in again with representation of it. So when you go to a restaurant, and I've been to a few restaurants, and they serve the food, I'm like... Coffee were corrector. I mean, <laughs> when they present it, there's something small sitting in the middle of the in the plate, and then there's some cream or something, sauce or something that they've done some design on the side. I'm looking at it, and for me, as someone who read art up to sixth form, I look at it and I'm like, okay, this is not food. This is art. I wish I could take a picture and just leave the food yeah, sitting yeah, there. Yeah, but I'm food. hungry, so I have to <laughs> deconstruct what has been put in front of me. And that, so yes, that's the premium right. price. And, and that's the other part. As well, Kuso place, you compare it to the price you paid. I'm like, ah, did I travel all the way here to come and eat this for this price? I know, you, I, know you, I know you love food and, and, and in, in the family you're the one who, who used to be our champion when it comes to explaining describing food and mm. exploring menus but I think this one is way above your level oh no no I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. so um, let's, let's settle down on raw materials that's, that's the focus of our discussion today where do you get your raw materials from and how exotic or how difficult are they to find because the next question is going to be if you got an order hundred times the size you are used to, what's next? So, what 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 kinds of raw materials are they available in the country? So, I source my regu- uh, my ingredients from various places. Uh, when I have a pop up, I can source from as many as five to six different places. I source my meat from somewhere else. I source my vegetables from some. I um, I get green peppers from Medina. I get sweet corn from farmers markets. Um, when I'm making a Philly cheesesteak, I'll get my steak from Maximat or Palace. When I'm making lamb, I'll get from Maximat or Palace. When what, I'm making, what what determines where you where you go? 
I'm just, I'm just curious. The quality and the price. Wow. So, so to, when we mentioned being overwhelmed by an order of 40,000 baskets and those cane products, you said you hadn't, you hadn't had that kind of problem before. So, typically, for your pop-ups and so on, how many people show up? Um, we have... The lowest you've had is 15, and the most five. Yes, and the most you've had is 125. So you're looking at a case where you're hosting these events that are drawing people to come and try fusion dishes that incorporate local and international flavors. But if you are drawing between 15 and over 150 people, how do you then, you know, strike the balance between buying too much and then you have more stock? left over and then you have to find a way to dispose of it and buying too little and missing out on potential sales every every pop-up comes with that problem it is mm -hmm. one of our main problems knowing the right amount of food to get so take for example yesterday we had a pop-up i did beef burritos i was estimating to sell 60 burritos because i was trying to have a very low selling day because there were other events around I ended up selling 35 to someone, it's, you stole, you sold above half, but then that's where the problem comes in. What do I do with the other 23 orders? So for me, most sometimes I go home with food, sometimes I don't. But there's no real clear-cut way of knowing how many people are going to show up. That's, that's exactly why we brought Mr. Tabili to the studio. And for everyone listening out there, please don't bother that it's about Chef Kiko or it's about Fred. It's about any business asking the questions about where do I get my raw materials? How do I guarantee a constant supply? Um, let me throw into the mix another real-life situation that happened in, in Ghana. A beverages company it was, it was, it was a monopoly doing extremely well. And when that product was released, no one else had done anything like that in the country. They were doing very well. And then a competitor came into the market and just around the time the competitor came the supplier that supplies the bottles that hold the original supplier said to the original supplier that there, there are no bottles no <laughs> bottles wow and the competitor had all the bottles by the time the original supplier got bottles from a source outside the country the market was gone how do you guarantee the quality, the quantity, and the regularity, timing of raw materials? How do you make those calculations that will help him know, should he do 60 beef burritos or he should do 35? Is there a science to it? And how do we educate ourselves? Okay. Thank you very much. So there's a science to it. Now, I was happy he made, um, he spoke about the right quantity and the right quality. So, for starters, we define purchasing or procurement as the acquisition. And when I say acquisition, I mean any means that you can use to acquire what you want, not just buying. So, we always think that when there's a need, we have to buy, spend money to buy. It's not always that you need to buy. So, it's the acquisition of the needs of an organization through any legal means. So, the means you use must be legal. Oh, in the right quantities, the right quality, at the right price, from the right source, to the right place, 
at the right time. So we call it the six hours. So if you ask anybody who has read purchasing, this is the most basic definition he'll give to you. Now, run us through the six again. The right, the six again. The right quality, mm-hmm. the right quantity, the right price from the right source, delivered to the right place at the right time. And it's an acquisition of the needs of an organization in a legal manner. Training, yes, <laughs> training legal means. So, <clears throat> in his um, description, he said he buys this from Medina, and he buys this from Palace, and he buys this from Max Max. Uh, unfortunately, he would have the problem the cane people have. Because when someone pops up and says, I want for a thousand people, you may have to go and sweep the shelves of Palace clean. That means you have only one source. Now that comes to what we call supply risk. So in building a strategy for your raw materials, one of the things you look out for is the kind of relationship you should establish. And if there are less suppliers for what you are doing in the market, you have a supply risk. And chances are that your business might be in jeopardy. There are instances where there are one or two suppliers only. We call them a bottleneck. That one, you need to build a kind of relationship that you are always their preferred partner to deal with. Um, sometimes there's only one person. That one, too, you need to build an spe- extra special relationship. So there was a point in Ghana where we had only one person producing scratch cards for all the six telcos because we woke up one morning and there was a law that we can't import anymore so all six of us were competing with uh, for one person's attention how do you make sure that you always have your supplies that you need you need to build extra relationships so there's a model that we use it's called the Kralich model that you use and that will help you to situate the products and the kind of relationship you have to build with your suppliers. And that would ensure that you have mitigated. In all instances, your, your um, strategy should be to, have to reduce your supply risk. So you have, let's say, one partner as your lead supplier, but you have a backup supplier. Right. So if your volumes are 100%, you split it 70-30 or 60-40 or 80-20. But you always know that you have a backup. So if this one fails, this one would work. Let me pause here and remind our listeners. It's 26 minutes past the hour. So if you have joined us tonight, it's a discussion about raw materials, about logistics, about supply chain. It's the fourth in our series mm-hmm. on, the, on the six pillars of business and entrepreneurship. What's, what are the things that a person starting a business must pay attention to? And today on one of the least regarded and yet the most important elements in building a business um, wherever you are in the world and in whatever area that you are in, it applies to churches, political parties, businesses, anyone. You need to understand your supply chain, the flow, and when to have what and how much to have. And today we are, we are discussing it with the help of, of Chef Kiko and Kovna Atalbedu. Jojo and I are hanging out with them trying to understand um, the challenges that the chef is facing and the business models that can be used um, to resolve the issues that he is facing. If you joined us, um, if you just joined us, let me just give you the the six um, factors of procurement as shared by Cobna. And he talked about the acquisition of the needs of an organization in a legal manner. 
um, in the right quality, the right quantity, the right price from the right source, delivered to the right place and at the right time. Please, have you had a bad experience of something being delivered to the wrong place before? <laughs> and you are very sure you clarified, you clarified the location, gave them a Google Maps and everything. They say, ah, I thought you said, I thought you said. Meanwhile, this thing is time bound and it just is perishable. Let me give you an example, and maybe you we'll come to it and I'll see Juju. So I spoke to a company that is into decor and their raw materials are sourced primarily for the flies and so on primarily from the from outside the country because we don't plant them in the countries that we need here so they get them from outside the country and they typically the fly typically arrives on thursday or friday and they use them for events over the weekend so they had a huge order and the flowers are coming from Kenya. Everything was clean, clear. It was a regular pattern. That week in particular, the flight delayed. The flight came on Monday. After the events, perishable flowers. Charlie, the devil is a liar. <laughs> Tell me, have you had an experience like that before? Um, yeah, I've had an experience like that with, like, in various forms. So, a long time ago, I was looking for edible flowers. And I knew edible flowers, yeah. And okay. I knew farmers market had some of that. But when I got there there was nothing. So in that instance I had to change my garnish model for the event I had the next day. And fortunately unfortunately you have to buy edible flowers very close to the events because keeping them will mean they will also start going south. Mm-hmm. So you can't get it any time closer than one day before your event. So like he's saying, you get there and then now there's a risk of um, risk of getting what what you want yeah. because that's the only person I know who has edible flowers. Did you know about the order some time before the day? Yes, yes, I did, and okay. I knew they would, they normally restocked around that time, and I'd gone to make my inquiries and realize yes, they will have some. Did you pre-order? You you can't pre-order as well. By the way, they are sure one of the attendants assured me oh they get stock and then on Friday I'll get some and then I go there and I'm like Conference, this is very serious I mean if you didn't find an alternative I mean what 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 do you do in a station like this okay so the, in Ghana generally SMEs do business on subsistence basis so we don't put proper structures and documentation to it so he says an attendant said an attendant is a junior rank person who can't come into the company so knowing that your business is the kind of business that these are the critical ingredients you enter into a contract and depending on we can do different kinds of contracts but some of them they are, we call them call-offs where you can estimate that I'll do this volume over this period and so at any point in time when I have a need I'll call off in some instances they can say that um, you have to commit to a specific volume so there will be a minimum order quantity you have to make so that one becomes like a take or pay if you don't take this volume over the period we agreed, you have to pay for the difference because they, they reserved it for you. But that is to ensure that if at the time you need it, they are not able to deliver, you have some uh, release. release, yes, right. to, to, to address. So if you take the Kenya uh, Airways situation, depending on how we brought the person brought the, the flowers in, uh, if they had an agreement with Kenya Airways and they have said at times of the essence, it means... If the flowers don't get here and they come on Monday when the event was on Saturday, Kenya will have to pay them a penalty. The, the, the painful thing about this penalty is that the penalty will get paid, but the disappointment of a, a, a customer that trusted you and the, 
if they also decide to take out their frustration on you, they, uh, they have a contact with you, obviously you will have quite a difficult time. So it brings to fore the other issue of value chain analysis. Right. And and understanding your supply market. So if you take flies, for example, most of the world's flowers actually come from the Netherlands and then um, Kenya. So if you are looking for flowers in Kenya, KQ doesn't come. You are doomed. You won't get fresh flowers from anywhere. So that makes it a strategic relationship, which is, which is with not just the flower company, but the airline that is also bringing it. So that even if it means they're giving it to a Rwanda air, that will come on that day. They will go the, the extra mile. mile to make sure you receive it. You need that kind of relationship. So anytime you do your positioning and you know that this product falls in the category of strategic partnership, then you must do everything you can to ensure that if they are not able to deliver, it means there was no way they could deliver. That is very critical. Right. So one interesting thing you were talking about was looking at the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking back to Ghana's food supply chain, Mm -hmm. you know, how we get our food. So we produce quite a bit of food, but Mm -hmm. what happens is that actually 30% of the produce that Ghanaian farmers Mm -hmm. um, harvest Mm -hmm. actually goes to waste. Mm -hmm. So as a chef who is looking to do innovative things with Ghana's food industry, how do you see, what opportunities do you see in reducing that waste and kind of creating new things out of that? Um, my problem with the way Ghanaians um, produce their food is, I think we produce for producing sake. So a tomato farmer has two acres and he decides to grow two acres of tomatoes, which I think is a bad idea because tomatoes have a fresh lifespan without refrigeration for of five to six days. I do not want to risk having two acres worth of tomatoes ripe at the same time. So I think it comes, I personally want to eventually have my own farm and see if I can maintain the kind of standards I think our local farmers lack. But until then, I'm thinking it's more of the farmers planning better. Because if you have two acres, it's not going anywhere. So instead of planting all the two acres at the same time, why not plant a quarter acre? Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, plant another quarter acre. So that you know that when you are harvesting, you are harvesting quarter acres every two weeks. Mm-hmm. In that sense, you don't have two acres of tomatoes that's going to go to waste. Okay. And you always have fresh tomatoes to always give people at the time of the year. Okay. I, I, I like the so conversation you have. Even, even if it is not the ultimate solution, mm-hmm. these kinds of thinking. I had an opportunity to sit with a friend who works at the Chicago um, Exchange. Mm-hmm. And he, he, started, he, he talked about the fact that he started as a commodities exchange mm-hmm. and then went on to become the world's biggest exchange. And it's just interesting to listen to the opportunity Jojo talks about and the fact that for somebody to create the commodities exchange is the solution that can sit in the middle between the farmer out there somewhere in the farmland and people who need the products and must get them wherever he needs them. Mm-hmm. Now, where do we sit in all this? Okay, so again, I said that in Ghana we do business in subsistence form. In Agric as well, we do subsistence. So, um, Agric is such that you, you cultivate, unless you are doing mechanized farming, you cultivate generally our kind of Agric is seasonal. So, when is the rainy season, that's when we cultivate. So, the guy can say that uh, I'm planting a quarter and then next time I'll plant a quarter. So, normally he, during the season, you plant the whole land uh, acreage that he has. Our problem from Agric, with Agric, ever since I started reading economics, 
several years back has always been post-harvest losses. Right. Because we don't have systems and structures in place to preserve perishable goods to be sold in the lean season. So we always have the bumper season where there's a lot because it's been harvested. And then depending on how much it is able is sold, the rest go bad. But in in more structured uh, countries, during the bumper season, they buy off all the produce and stock them, and they release them based on the demand and supply. And so they are able to keep stable prices. So the reason why one, at one point you can buy one, one tomato like this for one Ghana, and then at another point you can whole, buy a whole bucket for 10 Ghana, is because we are not doing that kind of planning. If we were doing that kind of planning, we could, during the um, bumper season, the buying company would buy off everything from the market, stock them, and release them at a price, let's say, two CDs throughout the year, and we won't have supply uh, challenges. Now, it's he mentioned that he sources from Medina. So, because he's doing small scale, 100, no big deal. How about if it's 50,000? Now, for I can tell him that because of where he's sourcing from, um, he's not able to price the way he should. He can price. He's more expensive than how it should be. Because if he goes to Medina, probably he's buying from the fourth or the fifth middleman in the chain. That is why the value chain analysis is very important. The question you ask yourself is, where do we get tomatoes in Ghana? The bulk of our, to- our, our food produce, actually, f- our food basket is the Bunahafo region. So if you want to produce food and produce in large quantities, you must know where to get what. And you must know the price let and me, the source. Let me, let, let's hold it for a minute and take the break. When we come back, we'll model a scenario. Let's see, he gets a call from the Ministry of Procurement, who, who, are the, who typically will call him, whoever, and sees there's this big government... Mm. State protocol can call him that okay, there's a banquet. Protocol, right, mm-hmm. a banquet. And there are 2,000, 3,000 people in attendance. And something that you typically do for 15 people, they mm-hmm. say 3,000. That's about 200 times, if my, my math is correct, the people you typically save. Let's juxtapose the situation against my friends, the kid exporters. I was actually with them, so I knew the, the story well, 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 as they say. So when we come back, we'll talk about what do we do if you get an order 200 times the size of what you typically do. So this is Springboard Adventure University brought to you by Legacy and Legacy. Enjoy ninety nine point seven FM, and we are sponsored proudly by EcoBank, the Pan African Bank, MTN, Ghana's number one network, and we also receive support from the graphic business. Let me bring a special good evening to Tosan Wood, Tosan Catherine Lois, Tosan Wood. There's really one Tosan. She celebrated a fiftieth birthday yesterday. So I'm going to play the song "This God Is Too Good" by Nathaniel Bassi. When I come back, let's model a situation. That prayer you've prayed for 40 days of power, you fasted and prayed, and God sends an order a thousand times more than your regular order. Do you start crying or do you praise the Lord? Let's talk about that when we come back. Please don't go away.
All right, it's 19 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock, and this is Springboard of Virtual University. We are having a discussion about procurement, about supply chain, about about being able to deliver on the mandate at the right time. And if you just joined us, we've been breaking down the issue to ensure that if you got an order that is bigger than your normal size, how do you guarantee that you can deliver it? And very importantly, we've also been trying to find out about... about um, Chef Kiko's peculiar challenges which Kobnatabedi has been trying to address and among them we've talked about the fact that sometimes the person that you are trusting to deliver something does not deliver it at the time you need it what do you do? These are all situations that we we are trying to answer but the big one we want to answer if you got an order 100 times, 200 times 300 times the size of your regular Delivery or a regular order Should you be jubilating or should you be crying Why would you cry You would only cry because you are not ready or you don't have capacity um, So what What would you do Let me start with you Chef Kiko What, what would you do if you got a, a government, a state protocol Or maybe a banquet Some very rich or Gabi is doing a banquet for 3,000 for, for a 70th birthday or something and it's an exotic menu that you created that is typically handcrafted. The art part of it is very strong. How do you deliver on 3,000? Um, personally, I think delivery on 3,000 will have more to do with execution primarily than sourcing. Because even if you can get all the ingredients and you can't execute, there's no point. That's how I see it. But I feel like a banquet or something with has 3,000 people means there's more money to start with. Once there's more money, I don't mind going to the Bronga Hafo region or having someone go to the Bronga Hafo region to get me the stuff I need. But it, my, my problem is that I can't go as far as I need to go to get my produce because I'm still working with a very limited amount of people and a very small budget. If I should try and go to the Bronga Hafo region to get green peppers, I may get the best green peppers I will get out here, but how much am I going to make after? I've spent 500 CDs going to Bronga half and back. So I think with something like that, I don't know the actual details on the ground, but because there'll be more capital and a bigger budget to work with, I think we can be able to make more complicated decisions in terms of where we are going to source from and stuff. Right. Come on, let me, let, let's help, let's help um, Jeff Kiko make these decisions or, or, or anticipate the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I once said in the conference that everyone must imagine a scenario like this and begin to prepare for it. Even if it doesn't happen, have a plan that should somebody call and order a thousand of these items. First, I have these two partners who are competitors but will become collaborators. I mean, they are in the same industry, mm-hmm. competing with me, but should I get a big order, we'll come together and do it and share the money and after that we'll go back our separate ways. Is something like that worth considering for a business person? Yes. So in procurement, we have something we call category management. Right. Where you, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle, a vicious cycle, and it starts with identifying um, your needs. So that's where you begin to think about you do a short analysis. What are my strengths? What, do I, what can I do? What can I do? So you look at your operational capacity. You think this one, the, this one will be the, the problem is not sourcing. The problem is execution. Yes, you go to your kitchen and you find out that you don't have enough burners to be able to cook for three thousand at that same time. Then you know you have a problem. The problem is bigger than you thought. The problem is bigger than you thought. But what will happen is that um, you once you do the needs needs analysis, you specify what you want. The process would make you do a market research. So even though you've chosen to buy from Madina because for now your orders are small, 
you know that for all these critical ingredients, if I have a major order, this is the place I have to go. Now, there's something we do in procurement we call make or buy decision making. That is, should I execute this in-house or should I allow a third person to do it for me or to outsource it? One of the critical reasons why you do outsourcing is that the person has an advantage over you. So as soon as you do the, you work the numbers and you know that the person has an advantage over you. So because the person is bringing a truck load and you are going to take just a bag, um, you, it won't be cheaper for you to go and get just a bag from Bunahafu. So you outsource. But if it's a, a volume of that, you would want to hire a pickup and go to Bunahafu and bring it in yourself. So these are the, the things we, we, we juggle with. In the, in, in the make or buy decision making and it helps you to make sure that you are optimizing the value you are creating or you, you are expecting from it. Otherwise what you do is that yes it's a big budget but actually you've given more than half of that budget away when you could have avoided it. So you always need to understand your supply chain, the cost of the supply chain. So at any point in time you know the margins up to your end. So if you decide that um buying from Adina, you know that I'm paying hundred uh, ten times more than what I should pay. But if I have a big order and I go, I'll get it all these into. That is why companies like Unilever do what they call backward integration. Right. So they go and do the oil palm farms and they mail it. That's how the Bensu oil palm Bensu and then the the Chifu oil and the one at the eastern region. Right. Uh-huh. So those were those were attempts to secure the source of raw materials yes. to ensure that no mafia will, yes. will block our yes. oil palm business for our fried oil and our uh, 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 soups. Alright, it's, it's 14 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. It is time for our, our data is king segment. That segment where we just bundle together data that we think is critical to um, for each of our stakeholders or relevant to our stakeholders and then share it to the internet. We are talking about succession planning and we Amos has some very, very interesting thoughts for us about succession planning business and research. Amos, what, what do you have for today? So today on our succession planning, there are two reports that we are picking from. The first one is from the CEO success study by PwC and the other one by Stanford University on the um, succession planning survey. Um, so the data we have, it says in 2018, CEOs from the world's largest 2,500 public companies, 17.5% of them left their post, and this is the highest ever tallied since 2002. So if you are looking at it in absolute terms, that would be 435 people, almost one in five of the CEOs left their post. The previous year, it was only 14.5%. And then some of these CEOs they had served for over 10 years. So they are known as long-serving CEOs. Um, basically, CEO tenure has been reducing in recent years, so the average now is about five years. So all those who have served over 10 years are known as long-serving CEOs. Right. And the report says that for long-serving CEOs, their successes, the longer these long-serving CEOs stayed in office, their successes had a worse performance. Right. So of those who succeeded long, long-serving CEOs, 49% of them saw a worse performance for their companies. 
27% of them saw a steady performance and then 24% were able to improve the performance of their companies. So to help new CEOs... You have to pause. It explains why mind you and Arsenal are having problems. In fact, you just solved the issue. <laughs> <laughs> that is the reason why United and Arsenal are struggling. Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. Mm. I, I, I can see the passion that no, no, you can rep- continue. <laughs> so, so, Peter makes five recommendations for anyone who has just taken up a job as a CEO. Just run through them very quickly for us. Number one. Okay, so number one, they are saying that you need to build your own brand because right. truly you can never you replace can a charismatic leader or a legendary leader. Fantastic. Um, number two, they say you need to set a new agenda and reshape the future. Number three, they are saying find the right pace for change. Mm. Making change too quickly or too slowly, both ways are problematic. Um, number four, they are saying engage the board as a strategic partner. Leverage the, them as a strategic asset, tapping into their insight and experience. And then lastly, they are saying get the culture working for you the informal and emotional elements of the organization as well as the formal and rational elements they are all important thank you very much Amos and as, as always very priceless information I mean I, I think that the, the most difficult one is the number three getting the right pace for change not too fast and not too slow I mean, it's, it must be very difficult for me to find the right the right timing or the right pace for change you see the, the difficulty is is the fact that your competition out there is not waiting for you right for you to find a, a, a middle ground right so more often than not the the level of intensity in the market will determine the pace at which you run right so you can imagine that i mean if you go you change too many things too fast. They say they are, they are behaving like like the security guitar. If you go too slow to say, Charlie, since you came, you've not seen anything. I mean, a new CEO, you haven't seen anything. And, and it depends be. on how adaptable or malleable your staff are. Right. Um, if you have staff who can be stretched, they are, it is easy for them to take change. So then you can run change at, at a faster pace. If you have staff who are very silo-oriented and um, they are not malleable, um, it's difficult to change something very quickly because it will take a while for them to get through the whole change management process and then buy into, into, the, into, the, into the new vision. Right. So let's go now for our Game Changer segment, Jojo Okran. Let's find out what is, what's the Game Changer for this video. What do you have for us? So we're going back to our Small Business Big Value series, and this is a set of Game Changers that are focusing on growing businesses by adding um, outstanding customer value. So we are looking in the first, for the first two, we actually looked at speed and then convenience. And um, today it's a pretty interesting case. So in 2013, um, Spanish theater suffered quite a downturn because the government increased the taxes from 8% to 21%, which is quite a jump. Um, So in just a year, attendance fell by about 30% because audiences were turning to alternatives like American blockbusters. And so to combat the decline in attendance, um, the comedy t- theater Teatro New upended the entire experience and created the pay-per-laugh system. So instead of customers paying for their tickets ahead, entrance was made completely free and they only paid when they laughed. Um, so they basically used tablets that had facial recognition software to capture every single laugh and just charge them 30 cents flat rate. And after the show, the bill was actually capped at 24 euros so that when you laugh too much, you don't start crying. 
Um, so actually, their customers were able to enjoy the model, and they actually loved it so much, they shared their receipts on social media. So this week, our game changer is customer experience. So sharing on social media is all nice and good, but the, the new system had a far bigger impact on Theatre New. Their average ticket price went up by 6 euros, which brought them an additional 28,000 euros per show. And it created so much online buzz that the national media began to cover it. And what that meant was that because of the national media buzz and social media, all of a sudden, attendance went up by 35%, which is even higher than what they lost. So why was the system so successful? Number one, customers felt like they were getting value for their money because the system was transparent and they felt like they were part of the experience of creating that price. So the strategy actually makes sense when you consider that 86% of customers will pay more for a great customer experience. So I'd like to close with a quote from an unlikely business strategist, the late poet and author Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. This week, let's design experiences that make our customers feel like royalty. This has been The Game Changer with Jojo Okren. Have a phenomenal week. Thank you very much. Um, let me come. But let me come to this friend of mine um, when we were in school, who had a very interesting. I'm just thinking about the only way this business model will not work. This friend of mine who was in school mm-hmm. could sit in the classroom, would crack juice and everything. The guy would never laugh. And then in the evening, like 10 p.m., when he's lying in his bed, he would burst out laughing and then recount every single joke that was cracked the whole day. But while the jokes were being cracked, this guy is holding his head and learning. So if, you, if this guy went to die, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the guy ruminates. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ruminant. He, he just parts them. He just parts them. Then and later he, he will chew on them. Like your theater, Charlie, the facial recognition, eh, they won't see him laugh you once. Eh, they will lose money. The it, it's just a very interesting model. Let's wrap this up. We've had a very interesting discussion about supply chain. And Chef Kiko's had a, 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 an experience imagining if he had a banquet of 3,000. And now all of a sudden, Bronga Afrojin has come in. Yeah, uh, new supplies have come in, contracts have come in. It may not change anything about the way you do business today, but what it has done is stretch your mind to begin to think, so what if it does happen? Who would I call? What would I do? And I like the question, the, the point that you made, that it's not just even about sourcing, it's about execution. So maybe you may start thinking, he says procurement is not, not about buying. You may start thinking, if I got a big order, can I rent? Can I collaborate? And write it down somewhere. Who knows? Your prayer may get answered one day. Let me give you the final thoughts, Chef Kiko, and then I'm going to come to Kobna to close us uh, for this all-important discussion about supply chain and procurement. What, what are your learnings and what are your thoughts today, um, Chef Kiko? Um, to have learned that not having a strength in something may not necessarily be a bad thing. So I kind of do it in a little way, but I've been... I've accepted more now that as much as I may want to control everything, I may have to outsource some of the stuff to people. And that, in the end, helps me to be able to execute better because I can focus on what I am good and perfect at. Right. And also, you don't always have to buy everything. That yeah. is that is <laughs> one of the biggest takeaways I have taken today. And having to form the right relationships based on how important the person I'm procuring or how complicated it is to procure what I want to procure is something I'm going to work on when I get back. Trying to form, I already have relationships, but trying to form 
better relationship so that whatever I need I can always get because the person trusts that I'll be around to take their stuff or something like that. Right. Yeah. Come now. Take us away. I have a few takeaways for him. One, every businessman is into business to make a profit. Your profitability is not determined by how much volumes you sell. Your profitability is actually determined by your expense management. How little you spend. So someone can sell 10 and spend 9 and make a profit of 1. Someone can sell 4 and spend 1 and make a profit of 3. So at the end of the day, your profitability will come from your purchasing power, your, your procurement systems, and how you are able to bring your cost down. Otherwise, you'll be fetching water with a basket, not with a bucket. Point number two, your supply chain is as strong as your input. Mm. Because uh, Porter's value chain tells you that you have inbound logistics, which is your raw materials. You have the operations, which is the execution part. You have your marketing, which is the promotion and all that, pricing and all that, and the distribution, how you serve it, you get it to the customer. If you get the raw materials in, so imagine making a stew with rotten tomatoes and making a stew with green tomatoes and making a stew with ripe tomatoes. They are all tomatoes, but you get different outcomes, different tastes. So the quality of what you are able to produce and the value you create is not determined by the nice factory you have or the nice systems you have or the qualified people you have, but most importantly, the kind of inputs you are getting into the organization. That's what I'm living with. You couldn't have said it better, um, thank you so much for joining us and thank you, Chef Kiko, for bringing your case on board. As I say, making yourself a guinea pig for our experiment about procurement. I hope that you found it beneficial. Thank you What was your one big takeaway from this? Um, I think for me, the biggest one is just to make sure you're not fetching water with the basket. Um, so just managing, managing your costs in the process. Um, and, you know, procurement has really blown my mind today. So a massive thank you to MTN and Ecobank for sponsoring us. Thank you to the Graphic Business for the support. My name is Jojo Okren, and on behalf of Team Springboard, comprising Albert, Comfort, Matthew, Prisla, Amos, and Emmanuel, we say thank you for spending time with us. Coming up next is a walk with Jesus. Let me give you the, uh, the synopsis of what is going to happen in the walk with Jesus. It's about prophecy and Pastor Tokaho's prophet Samuel Frimpong. So stay tuned for a walk with Jesus. And next week, what are we doing? Next week, we are going to my favorite Your field. Favorite <laughs> technology, equipment, how that plays a key role in your business. In the next two weeks, we'll bring the last factor that is time. Yep. Time, a resource God generously gives all of us, but not all of us manage so well. So thank you so much. God bless you. God, God bless, bless you. you. God, God bless, bless you. you. Good night.